Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Guys, hello. Um, if we have not met, my name is Tyler. I know I know most of you, um, but uh, welcome to the final night of the spring semester and the final night of What Up With That? Um, and I know that some of you have expressed your uh, displeasure with me saying what's up with that in the video and the title being What Up With That? Sorry, I don't really know. Honestly, didn't expect anyone to think to call me out on that, but whatever. Uh, so uh, we tonight, uh, as you just talked about in your groups and as that video just talked about, and as you can see on the screen there, we are talking about the resurrection. And the resurrection has had me thinking about this idea of the phrase that we sometimes hear a lot, which is, too good to be true. Who's ever, who's ever heard that phrase, that something is too good to be true? How have you heard that phrase used? Like, w- when has somebody said, oh, that's probably too good to be true? Just shout it out. What is it you say? I don't, something, something too good to be true? Got it. Lots of things. Wow. So many, I still don't know what you said. Uh, so many, so many examples. It's one of those moments where you're like, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, so many examples. Uh, so sometimes you might hear, um, I don't know, gosh, like if somebody uh, went to a, a really great restaurant and they had really good food or something and it was just like perfect night and then all of a sudden they got food poisoning and it was like, it's too good to be true. It was the perfect thing and it was too good to be true. That's what happens. That's what that means, right? If something was too good to be true, it wasn't true. It was not a real reality that they were experiencing. But I think, and I want to make an argument for, that there are things that can be so good and still be true. And I want you to hold on to that. I want you to, to, to remember that. Because tonight, remember, we are talking about the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus, I'm not even going to just try and sugarcoat it. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history. Not even a, there's not even a, a second close place. The resurrection of Jesus is something that, as a Christian, you must believe in. It is an all-or-nothing belief. And it's distinctly Christian, too. If you say that you are a Christian and you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again from the grave, then you're not a Christian. Or at least not a Bible-believing Christian. That's what the resurrection means. It is, it is ground zero for Christian belief. And it's all or nothing. Either you believe it or you don't believe in Jesus. It is simple as that. And so I want to look at the resurrection like this. That there are two different ways that we see hope in the resurrection. So the first is that the resurrection is a promise of hope. I think we have it on the screen there. Yes. The resurrection is a promise of hope. Turn, turn to the person on your right and tell them that the resurrection is a promise of hope. Yes, 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 yes. The resurrection, or yeah, sorry, if, if you were on the end, I'm so sorry. If you were on the end over here, then uh, hopefully you still said it to somebody, or at least someone said it to you to remind you. Okay, so the resurrection is a promise of hope. Now, why do I say that? Why, why do we believe that? Because the resurrection is a promise that was made by Jesus, and it's a promise that was kept by Jesus. And that's the best type of promise, right? A kept one. We have all, if, if you're like me, you have probably experienced, at least in some form or fashion, when somebody doesn't keep a promise, right? And sometimes that's harmless. Sometimes you, somebody, maybe a friend of yours at school or at lunch will be like, hey, I promise not to eat your last french fry. 
when, I, when you go to the bathroom at lunch. And then you come back from the bathroom, and your french fry's gone. And all of a sudden, you think, how could I have ever called this traitor my friend? And you're like, I have one more favor to ask of you. To pull the knife out of my back. My fries are gone. But it's a harmless promise, right? No one's going to get hurt. No one is going to really ultimately, I mean, besides you lied. But, you know, whatever. Um, so this is a, this is a, that's kind of like a harmless bringing promise. But sometimes, you and I have experienced probably, when a broken promise hurts a little bit more. Maybe when, maybe when uh, you, you placed a lot of trust in that person, so the broken promise hurt, or you placed a lot of your life was depending on the prom, this promise being kept, and when it wasn't, that hurt. So one example of a kept promise in my own life is when I was in sixth grade, and I broke my arm playing football. I may have told some of you this story before. I broke my arm playing flag football because I am a star athlete, uh, and <laughs> I broke my arm uh, diving for the opposing team's flag, which I got, okay, just so we're all, okay, don't, don't, do not, no, do not, do not give me your, do not give me your pity, it was not worth it, no, it was not, uh, so I broke my arm, landed on it wrong, snapped it right in half, radius in the ulna, two bones right here. It was bending and like, it was like, if I held my arm, like my, it was like going like this. It was not, not, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Caused quite a commotion in my PE class in sixth grade. So, uh, I was wheelchaired to the nurse's office, which looking back, my legs worked fine. Uh, but for some reason I was like, it's too much pain. Put me in a wheelchair. Uh, and I was wheeled to the nurse's office, which is just still such a funny image of seeing me just like hurting my arm, but my legs worked fine. Um, and uh, while I, I remember waiting in the nurse, nurse's office, and I hadn't really like been crying, because if you've ever broken something or have hurt yourself really bad, you know that there's a lot of shock, and that doesn't really, that's sort of what is the most overwhelming feeling. So you're not, you're not really crying, you're just kind of like, uh, and your body's like trying to like, your body has rushed so much adrenaline to your system that you're kind of trying to overcome that. And so I remember sitting there being in shock that I had won this game for my team, that I had done so good. No, I was in shock that my arm was bending in a way that it should never bend. Uh, but I remember sitting there like it was yesterday and waiting for my dad to come pick me up because I was going to have to have surgery. I remember sitting there and seeing my dad walk into the room. And as soon as I saw him, as soon as we made eye contact, I just began to ugly cry. Like, like it was like, hmm, my arm doesn't hurt. Like, not good. Like, the nurse was probably like, that's something, you should get that checked out of the hospital too, because whatever that is, is wrong. It needs, needs, he needs to be fixed. Like, it was not good. I just started to ugly cry. It was not a good time. It was not good for anybody involved. And it wasn't like my arm had suddenly started to hurt a lot more, right? Like nothing had really, no, no, nothing had changed in that situation. Like my arm didn't break more or like my right arm didn't, wasn't like, ah, oh, I want to be like you. And then it broke itself. Like I was just, I was fine. Nothing had changed. And, and but looking back now, and I think I knew in the moment too, that I knew why I had started to cry. And maybe you've, maybe you've been in a situation like this before. That when I saw my dad, I knew I was safe. When I saw my dad, and even though he had never maybe made this promise to me um, this blatantly, but when I saw him, he was keeping a promise. He was keeping a promise that parents should keep to love and care for and protect their child. And this 
in this scenario, he was doing that by getting me from school and taking me to the hospital and driving probably 80 on normal streets on his way there because my dad's a crazy person. But I love him because he got me to the hospital. And so even though I knew that, I, that in that moment I wasn't going to die, I wasn't going to die from my broken arm. And I knew that I wasn't going to lose my arm. They weren't going to be like, nah, it's too broken. We have to amputate it. Like, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I knew that that wasn't going to happen. I knew that I was going to be okay. But the power of that moment was that in my dad kept his promise to me. And that's a powerful thing, to keep a promise. I mean, especially in today's world, right? Like, you don't have to look very far to hear about somebody tricking somebody or, or scheming to, to get their own way or, or lying to somebody. So a promise stands apart. A promise stands apart in today's world. And that's the first thing that we're talking about in this resurrection, that it's a promise of hope. Because Jesus, over and over and over and over again in his time on earth, told people, hey, I am going to be betrayed, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise again. As they got closer and closer to Jerusalem, it was like, hey, don't forget, I'm going to die, and then I'll be back from the dead. Hey, don't forget, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be back from the dead. Hey, we're in Jerusalem, I'm going to die super soon, then I'll be back from the dead. Hey, tonight's the night, I'm going to die, and then I'll be back from the dead. And then it finally happens, and the disciples are like, what? We didn't see this coming, when really they should have, because he kept telling them over and over and over again that this was going to happen, that he was promising his own resurrection. So much so, in fact, that when we read about the resurrection in Luke chapter 24, the women go to this tomb to further prepare Jesus's body, and they see an angel there, and the the stone has been moved aside, and the angel is sitting on this rock, and he says to them, what you see on the screen here, he says, he, being Jesus, is not here. He has risen. That's seven words, I think, probably the seven most important words that have ever been said in the history of all humanity. And he says, goes on to say, remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So the angel says what we just talked about. Hey, remember when Jesus told you these things? Because they happened, and he's not here. His promise is true. He is back from the dead. Now, what happens when someone keeps their promise to you and me? We trust them a little bit more, right? So say it's the... the, them not eating your last french fry. You might not go from, oh, I trust you to not eat my last, my last french fry to I trust you with all of my life now. But you would probably trust them a little bit more, right? That's what happens when somebody keeps their promise. You're able to trust them a little bit more. And the same goes with Jesus, but way more. Like, if someone says they're going to rise from the dead, that's not a thing that happens. Like, I don't know if you follow the news, but like, that does not happen, If someone says they're going to rise from the dead and then they do, you should at least listen to them. And if someone says that their death is not going to be the end, that they're going to defeat sin and death and then they're going to come back, we should probably trust that their promises can be trusted. And it's because the resurrection is true, because Jesus kept his promise, that every other promise in the Bible can be trusted. Every single one. Now, you might say that's kind of a big jump to make. But I say that because that's what the Bible says. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And that's a different one that's from that verse. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's a little intense, right? 
Like, hey, that's useless, and so is your faith. Also, peace out. My name is Paul. Like, that's pretty heavy, right? And, and at first, when I read that, I'm like, okay, Paul, relax. But then I think about it, and, and he's got a point. Because what he's, he's, what he's saying is, okay, either the resurrection is true, and that means everything else that you and I believe is true, or the resurrection is false, and everything we believe is a lie, and this place shuts down tomorrow. Everything that you and I believe about Jesus, about Christianity, hangs on whether the resurrection is true. One pastor put it like this. He said, if the resurrection isn't true, we should all go home. Religion makes a lame hobby. Those are heavy words, just like Paul's. But that's what they're trying to convey, that everything you and I believe depends on whether or not the resurrection is true. If somehow tomorrow a newspaper was, headline was printed that said, we found Jesus' bones and there's all this evidence for it, what happens to our belief system? It crumbles. I can tell you with confidence that that is never going to be printed and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that's what this hangs on. The resurrection is everything for us if we are followers of Jesus. And so, because the resurrection is true, we can trust every other promise. Because the resurrection is true, we can trust the promises in the Old Testament that, that tell us that if we obey God, there's going to be blessing in our life. But if we disobey God, there's going to be emptiness and curse. Because the resurrection is true, we can trust the promises of Jesus in Matthew 28 that he is going to be with us always to the end of the age as he is sending us out to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because the resurrection is true, we can trust the promise of Jesus in the book of Revelation that he is going to come back, that one day he is going to come back, and on that day, there's going to be no more crying. You're not even going to be able to cry. There's going to be no more pain. You won't even be able to feel pain. There's going to be no more death because you're not even going to be able to die. You and I as followers of Jesus are going to be able to look death in the face and say no more. You're done. And that's the promise that we can hold to because the resurrection is true. Every single promise in the Bible because the resurrection is true can be trusted. And people will argue that the resurrection is just another conspiracy theory that people are making up. If you've ever spent any time on the internet, you've probably at least heard of conspiracy theories because people love to make them up. People will argue that that's what this is. And I want to tell you that they are wrong. Because there are a lot of reasons, a lot of defense for why the resurrection is true. And the Bible points out some of that to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 through 8, Paul, the same one that wrote uh, the verse we just read, he writes for, uh, to this church in Corinth, he writes, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, then he, which means they died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. And there are accounts of these 
appearances of these visits of Jesus to these people after he was resurrected. So there's that. And then there's the, the very fact that if people were making this story up, wouldn't you think that the disciples would want to make themselves look better? Like if you, I don't know if you've ever read the resurrection story, but the disciples do not look good. Like they look really faithless and really dumb. And I don't know about you, but if I'm making a story up about myself, I want to make myself look good. Like, yep, Jesus died, and I was not even worried the whole time because I knew he was going to come back. What's up? I'm faithful. Like, that's not what happens. They all just totally jump ship and go back to what they were doing before Jesus. And if you're going to make up a story, at least make yourself look good. And that makes me think, probably not made up. And I think one of the strongest arguments for this is the simple fact that thousands of years and millions of people have committed their life to Jesus, have bet their life on the fact that he was resurrected. That millions of people have died. Millions of people have died. And that's based on a lie? I just don't think that, that's just not the truth. And there's so much more that we could get into, but ultimately, you have to decide whether you believe the resurrection is true. And this isn't a, oh, it's true for you, it's true for me. No, it's true. But you have to decide, am I going to believe this? Am I going to live in the light of the resurrection? Or am I going to deny it? So the resurrection is a promise of hope. That's number one. Number two is the resurrection is a story of hope. It's a story of hope because it tells us that the story doesn't end on Friday. That the story of your and my life, that of all people's lives, doesn't end with death. That on the Friday when Jesus died and the sky darkens and Jesus is shut into a tomb, all of human hope isn't buried along with him. That's not how the story ends. The story continues. The story doesn't end with death. It ends with hope. And there's a kid's Bible story. If you were at church with us on Easter, uh, you would have heard this read of when the women go to the tomb and they're told by the angel that uh, Jesus is alive. Uh, It describes their feeling, learning that Jesus is alive, as if they had woken from a nightmare. Now, who has ever had a nightmare or a really bad dream? Probably most of us. Maybe you're like me and you don't remember your dreams very often. But we can, I think this is a good, a good thing for us to think about, a good illustration, because chances are good that all of us have had a dream or a nightmare that we were so glad wasn't real, right? Like you have probably had a dream with like some freaky big old spiders or like some crazy clown and you wake up and you jolt awake in the middle of the night and you're like, whoo, thank goodness. And then maybe like your brother or sister's in there in a clown mask and they're trying to scare you and scar you for life. Hopefully not, hopefully not. But we've all had that relief, relieving feeling of a dream not being real. And so I had this, I had this experience. So I to, just told you a story about my dad. This is a story about my mom. And then I'll tell you about my aunts and my grandma and my fish. No, just my mom and dad. Just my mom and dad. Uh, so when I was, and warning, this story doesn't make me look like the bravest person in the world. But whatever. I don't care. I have a highlighter head. So really nothing can insult me anymore. So when I was a junior in high school, so older than all of you, um, besides leaders, um, sorry, not to age you, leaders, um, when I was a junior, <laughs> Bill, uh, when I was a junior, <laughs> like I'm a kid, when I was a junior in high school, I remember going to sleep one night, normal night, and I remember having this dream that I was in this big warehouse, 
And in this warehouse, with all, I was with all of my friends. Uh, and and I don't, like a lot of you guys, uh, I was able to go to church with a lot of my best friends. And that was super awesome. So I was in this warehouse with all of my best friends. It was super great. But in this dream, all of a sudden, we're hanging out. And all of a sudden, my friends start to die just all around me. And it was really sad. And they weren't just dying. They were, they were being killed by by other people that I loved. And it was this terrible dream experiencing this. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm seeing my friends die. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is, what is happening? And so I wake up like you probably have with this jolt. And I'm in this like cold sweat. And I wake up and I'm already crying, which is a lot of me crying in this sermon. I promise I don't cry that much. But even if I do, whatever, it doesn't matter. And so I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm crying and I'm wide awake. If you've ever had this dream, you know, it doesn't matter what time of night and all of a sudden you're like, well, I could just probably start my day right now because I'm not falling back asleep. And so I I didn't know what to do. I I was freaking out because sometimes you wake up from these dreams and you might feel relieved. This was not one of those moments. Man, I felt so scared. I was so terrified and I knew it was a dream, but I did not feel relieved. I was so scared that my friends were dead. And so I did the only thing I knew how, knew how to do. I, I went downstairs, and I knocked at my mom's door until she answered. And like a good mom, she was like, uh, well, what's going on? Uh, why are you knocking on my door at 3 in the morning? Uh, and I, I, truthfully, I couldn't even describe what had happened to her because I was crying so much. I was so scared. I was so scared that all the people that I loved, everything that I loved was just dead. And so my mom just sat with me in our dark living room and just told me over and over and over and over again that it was just a dream, that it wasn't a reality that I was going to live in actually, and that in a few hours, the sun was going to come up it was going to be a new day. And that the day that I was going to experience was not one that I had just lived. That I was going to wake up to a new, a better world than the one that I had dreamed of. The one that I had conceived in my dark, scary dream. And man, I think that this is probably how the disciples felt. Think about it. These disciples, that they put all of their chips in on Jesus. They bet it all on him. And then Friday rolls around and He's dead, and they go to bed Friday night, and they wake up Saturday morning, and wow, that wasn't a dream. He is, he's still dead. And then Saturday rolls around, and they're trying to figure out what to do with their life now. And so can you imagine Sunday morning? Can you imagine that? Just, just think. Try and put yourself into the position of the disciples, of your inner room Sunday morning with all these other people that are experiencing this lowness just like you, and then all of a sudden, some friends of yours, these ladies run in with this crazy look in their eyes, and all they can get out is, he's back, he's risen. And I don't know what I, don't know what I would do. I don't know if I'd be like, uh, no, you're crazy, or if I would have the faith of some of the other disciples, like Peter. Peter, who... Denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus three times. The book of John in chapter 20 tells us, in in verse 3, it says, So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. 
But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which is fun that that's included in the Bible that he lost. So he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still don't get it even here. But can you imagine how Peter is feeling? Sitting in this tomb that Jesus was supposed to be in. Just asking himself, man, could he really be back? Could Jesus really be alive? Because he's, I'm responsible for his death, but he's bigger than that. And this is the promise that is found in the story of the resurrection. That on your worst day, Jesus lived it with you. And that your story doesn't end on that day. Because the story of the resurrection tells us that the best can come through the worst. That hope can come through death. That life can come through death. That's what the, the hope that the resurrection offers us. And think about it. The greatest victors, the greatest champions, the greatest conquerors in the world, the goats of the world, all died. They all died. All of them eventually lost to death. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus changes your story. He changes my story. He rewrites our stories. And he doesn't let death have a say in our story anymore. The hope of the resurrection is that we serve a promise-keeping God. A God that saves us out of our nightmare. So one of my favorite stories written is Narnia. And maybe you've read Narnia. Um, if you have, proud of you. And in one of the books, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, the main characters, including um, a young girl named Lucy, go on this adventure. And they go on this adventure across the ocean. And there comes a point where they reach this island simply called the Dark Island. And this um, island... Is, is one in which uh, dreams come true and nightmares come true. And so they begin to freak out, all of these characters, they begin to get scared at this idea that their nightmares are going to come true and that then they, all of a sudden they get, they get stuck in this black cloud surrounding the island and they're freaking out as they're lost in this darkness thinking they're going to be stuck there forever. And then C.S. Lewis writes this, Lucy looked along the beam and presently saw something in it. At first it looked like a cross, and then an airplane, and then it looked like a kite, and at last with the whirring of wings it was right overhead, and it was an albatross, which is a huge white bird. And it circled three times around the mast, and then it perched for an instant on the gilded dragon at the prow at the front of the boat. And it called out in a strong, sweet voice what seemed to be words, though no one understood them. After that, it spread its wings, rose, and began to fly slowly ahead. The captain steered after it, not doubting that it offered good guidance, but no one except Lucy knew that as it circled the mast, it had whispered to her, 
courage, dear heart. And in a few moments, the darkness turned into a grayness ahead. And then almost, before they dared to begin hoping, they had shot out into the sunlight and were in the warm blue world again. And all at once, everybody realized that there was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. And then first one and then another began laughing. The resurrection of Jesus is real. The resurrection of Jesus happened. And it's not too good to be true. It's too good to not be true. The resurrection of Jesus is something that we have placed all of our hope in. And it's too good to not be true. It is both unbelievable and the thing on which our belief stands. So the question that you need to ask yourself tonight is where does your hope lie? Because you've probably had some worst days. You've had moments in which you have thought, I hope the story doesn't end like this. And in those moments, where was your hope? Was it shut up in a tomb? Because whether life has been really good lately, whether today was a really good day, or whether life has been really hard lately and today was a really bad day, the only hope worth hoping for is Jesus. And it's in this hope that Jesus gives us courage. Courage that you can get through this life. That you can live this life faithfully to Jesus. That you can do this Jesus thing through the power of this Jesus guy. That you can live a life for him. That whatever it is that you're facing, that you can do this Because Jesus did that. Because he rose from the grave and he gives you this courage. And now we're going to go into a time of communion. So leaders who are doing communion, you can go ahead and get those. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we think about. What we pray about, what we remember in communion. That the victory is Jesus's. That when we come to this table that Jesus has invited us to, He's promising that he's going to come back, that he's going to invite us to an even better table. And that one day when we are at this better table, we will worship and we will eat and we will sing and we will dance and we will play and run and breathe forever in the glory of Jesus who's alive. And in that moment, we will be able to echo the sentiments, the the cry of relief and victory that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is your hope in Jesus is all of your confidence in the resurrection that's the choice that you have to make that's the choice that you have to make Jesus is alive will you live for him let's pray
Father, you are good. And we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. That we can be free forever through his resurrection. God, we pray that we live in the light of that resurrection. That we let it change who we are every day. That we stop pretending that we can get through this life all on our own. That we we need you, Jesus. We need the courage and the hope of your resurrection to get through this life. We ask that you would give it to us. And that we would recognize that you already have. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.